Hey guys, it's Clayton from 316 Creative Works. Hey, listen, if you know me, you know that 316 Creative Works exists to partner with artists, businesses, and churches. Uh, one of my good friends is a business guy. It's the Maynard family, and they run a business, and now they're in partnership with us. So that's Precision Door Service. Listen, in case of emergency, I always call Precision Door Service. They are experts in repairing, replacing all your garage doors and overhead doors. They can be reached. They got two numbers. The Indiana side is area code 219-306-8155. Again, 219-306-8155. Now, on the Illinois side, uh, Precision Door Service can be uh, contacted at area code 708 Four seven four six six five seven. The number again is seven zero eight four seven four six six five seven. You can always get them at Precision Garage Dash Door dot com. That's Precision Garage Dash Door dot com. Of course, we'll probably have Justin throw a contact card up there for you so you guys can see it if you're watching this. Again, this is Clayton from Three Sixteen Creative Works introducing you to another member of the family, the business of Precision Door Service. Thanks, guys. Thanks for checking us out. Hey, everyone. Uh, thanks for coming back in and uh, checking out 316 Podcast. I am Clayton from 316 Creative Works. Uh, believe it or not, we're, we're not even halfway, but we're just we're going to have to we're going to have to burn through some of this, Jay. So um, this is part three of talking with Jason. Uh, always want to start out with our big thanks. Uh, big thanks to Larry and Sandy. Uh, thanks to Esther. Thanks to Justin. And thanks to, to Danielle for managing uh, the whole thing. Uh, let's let's jump right back into talking with Jason. We're now we're just getting into the career of your life, right? I mean, so so you were uh, uh, a sports geek who had a radio show. Uh, you you interned for a couple really big sports uh, communication companies in Chicago. Love that, and you decided to go in a different direction because you saw your life five, 10, 15 years down the road. And though you loved that work, you knew that for you that was not conducive with the lifestyle that you wanted. Correct. So I chose to go to work for a corporate training yeah, company. Corporate, And it's a fun job, and you traveled all over America and had a lot of great, great experience. Uh, 2001, things got rough, and you were just leaving us with your boss saying, Jay, come on in, close the door, have a seat. Yeah, the problem with close the door is, of course, it's a corporate training company, so it was just one big open right, room. Right, So, yeah. Whatever, but there were only three of us there, and he said, I'm going to have to let you go. Um, and he had been so hoping that more work would come in that he wouldn't have to do it that my uh, severance package was one paycheck and a month of health insurance for my family. Nice. So that was difficult. Um, I'm going to just put a pause here because we're, we're talking a lot about career, but we've Boy, we've we've skipped a lot of personal. Uh, you said Kristen. Uh, I'm assuming that's your wife. That is correct. Ta- that tell is me my wife. what what happened there. How did that start? Who is she? How did you meet? What what happened? 
Yeah, so we probably met in the Faith Church Nursery, oh, that's uh, but that's not where the memories begin. The memories begin in high school. She's uh, the youngest of three daughters okay. and uh, who went to Faith Church, and both of our parents had the mindset that if uh, the church had something for you, you were going to be there. Yeah, yeah. And so the middle sister, Nancy, was in my grade, and so she and I were at probably the only two at the junior high Bible study on Wednesday nights, and we became wonderful friends, never dated, were never romantic, um, but just really, really good friends. Yeah. And then when we were juniors, Kristen entered uh, into high school. Yeah. And I was like, oh, hey. How do you do? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so she's, you know. So it, now back then you just kind of had a little crush on one of your best friend's little sisters. Correct. Does anybody know this? Was no. this scandal? Does does anybody know it now? Well, we all know it they now. They all though. know it now. <laughs> so I, we it took a while. She that. entered high school when I was a junior, but it took until I was had graduated high school and we were on uh, a mission trip. And I asked her out, and she said she would go, you know, on a date with me. But then her sister Nancy said no. Her sister Nancy really? said, uh, "I am not ready for one of my good friends to date my sister." And so that all got put on hold. But Kristen and I just became really good friends. And then, <laughs> have you talked with Nancy about that since? Well, we have. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when I was working at the corporate training company, Krista, the training company was in Wilmette. And so I'd drive from South Holland to Wilmette every day. And Kristen uh, then was going to North Park, now North Park University. And there were times when I would just stop on the way home and take her out for dinner and as a college kid and just as friends. And then um, her sister at one point came uh, to my house on a Sunday morning. I was getting ready for church, and Nancy was home from school. And she came in and she said, hey, if you've held back from asking Kristen out again because of what happened before, uh, we're obviously not going to get together. And how cool could it maybe be if one of my best friends became my brother-in-law? Whoa. And so then I finally asked Kristen out again. It feels like a like a, like a biblical arrangement, right? I mean, It the, seems like it. You went for the Rachel and you got the Leah, or the Leah, then the Rachel. Right? I mean, so, so you were kind of raised with this family, with your wife's family. Correct. I hung out at their house quite a bit. Yeah. So you kind of knew what you were getting into. Absolutely. Is it everything that you could hope or imagine? Even better. Come, come For on, real, man. For real. I will tell you, I would put my in-laws up against anybody. Really? Uh, they. So are, you don't have those those in-law weirdness things? No. You generally don't have it? Uh, no, uh, because we also lived together for nine months <laughs> with my in-laws. The Part of the unemployment story ended up living with them and... Um, they're just wonderful people. So, so uh, you know, honestly, tr truth in lending here. Um, one of your first public dates, or big family public dates, was at my wedding. That is correct. Right, and so that's kind of how I got to re-know you. I knew you. I knew who you were in high school a little bit, but at my wedding, you you come. You're dating uh, one of the bridesmaids. And so that's kind of how I got to know you. And and if memory serves, you really did cut up the dance floor. I'm telling you, I got no problem. <laughs> He's not lying. Really I am is, happy really to do that. Answer. You and, invite me, I'll be there. Yeah, and sober. 
Correct, because I I would dance drunk, <laughs> right? I mean, I would do the uh, the, the Doors dance, right? Like 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 nobody, but sober, I couldn't dance. Yeah, and don't dance. Yeah. So uh, so you're so you're in 2001. You're getting fired, right? And you're 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 married, and we have two kids at that point. You have two kids. Yep. Annika was born in 1999. Uh-huh. Um, How'd that go? Uh, it ended up okay, but it didn't start that well. Uh, she was born 10 weeks early. Kristen had preeclampsia toxemia. Don't know what that is, but uh, keep going. High blood pressure oh, could be a yeah. risk of Kristen having a stroke and them both dying. So the only cure that they said was, we need to take your baby. So, okay, hang on, hang on. Just give me a second here. So you're a, you're a young husband, a first-time father, and your beautiful wife, who you've pined after since uh, junior year in high school, uh, you have a doctor saying your wife's going to die and your baby's going to die unless we take the baby out now and try to get it to survive. Yeah, we'll give you two days uh, because we're going to get. We understand that the lungs aren't fully developed, so we'll give the baby a shot of steroids tonight, Monday night. 24 hours later, another shot, and after two shots, it's no more improvement. So then Wednesday night, then we'll take your baby. But, okay, we can't do it here. It's South Suburban. You need to go to Christ Hospital in Oak Lawn where they have the NICU and all that stuff. Do you start Do you start going to dark places in your head? It, yeah, absolutely. And I remember um, calling up one of my friends and just in tears. Uh, telling him you have to call, you know, before texting and group text yeah. and all that. Like, you got to call all of our other friends, and they got to start to pray uh, because this is not looking good. I mean, this baby is not lungs aren't fully developed, not big at all. Um, and so, yeah, you start to have those concerns. Do you start um, mentally, emotionally preparing for? I don't think so. Not that I, I mean, because I think, you know, even making that phone call and then the the big semi ambulance from Christ Hospital shows up at South Suburban <clears throat> and they have two paramedics and then two nurses from the neonatal intensive care unit in case something happens en route. Uh, but then they look at me and they're like, oh, yeah, we don't need, we don't have room for you. So I got to get in my little S10 pickup truck and drive myself over there. But I will tell you, such an intense peace and calm came over me on the way there that it protected my mind from going to those places. God? Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, we know everything worked out. Correct. Because she's 21. She's 21 and doing great. Those were hard days, dark days? Yeah, she was in the NICU for uh, for a month. She was born at two pounds, um, but she was only on a respirator for um, 24 hours. Although, you know, she's on the respirator. Kristen had to have a C-section, so she's recovering from that. And they say, hey, do you want to go see your daughter? Absolutely. I go in. There is a tornado, no kidding, down the street, which cuts off the power to Christ Hospital. What, you mean an actual tornado, like a, like yes. a tornado? Yes. And so I'm standing there, and the whole <laughs> all the lights go off in the NICU, 
and it's probably only 20 seconds before the emergency power kicks in. Um, but I'm sitting there going, my kid's on a ventilator. We need electricity. And this voice in the darkness, the head nurse, I'm guessing is like nurses get to your beds, be, be ready to bag your babies to start squeezing and breathing for them. And I mean, it's just an amazing experience, but again, that voice in the darkness was like, okay, we got this. We got it. We've been here. We can do this. So again, God shows up and says, Jay, I got it. Yeah. Right. There's nothing you can do. Correct. You're going to have to drive yourself. <laughs> I got this one. Uh, she's fine. She's fine. She's 21. Yep. And she's still a fighter. Yes. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're married to the love of your life. Um, you got a, you got a, um, you got two kids and you just get fired. Yeah. And you, you, you put a hold on buying your house. Correct. So, so we obviously we can't qualify for a mortgage with no income because Kristen wasn't working at that time. So um, put that one on hold. The parents give us the advice, still sell your house in South Holland because then you'll be a non-contingent buyer and you'll have freedom to go wherever you get a job. And so uh, sold the house, had a nine-month unemployment, and then uh, thanks to some wonderful connections, uh, actually ended up running landfills for a while. What's a landfill? A landfill is where all of your garbage goes. <laughs> you ran a garbage dump? Okay, first of all, never call it a dump. Okay, no, I'm sorry. sorry. If you want to know uh, the environmental yeah. rules and the qualifications, <laughs> okay. they are huge. And, uh, you know, this was actually the largest uh, landfill by weight in the country. Oh, congratulations. Um, that I was the assistant manager yeah. of. And I did that How for three months and then what became the manager of probably the smallest landfill in the entire country well, in Lowell, Indiana. You worked your way up. Yeah. But you were unemployed for nine months. Yep. Like, what did you do? Thankfully, I had some guys from church that I had helped uh, before who were electricians and they had their union electricians, but they had a non-union job. And they're like, why don't you come help us? Yeah. Like... Okay. Right. 15 bucks an hour, I'll take it. Get up at 4.30 in the morning, start at 6, go downtown on West Fullerton. I shocked myself every day Why? because I am a horrible <laughs> yeah, electrician. you're that guy, right? Because it, but it gave my mind something to do. Yeah. And, and, and again, God showed up. Absolutely. And said, gee, I got it. So you're, you're working at an environmental... Land? Would you call it just a landfill? It's a landfill. It's okay. It's a landfill, and uh, it's the it's a job of your life. You're loving it. It's your dream job. It was a job I grew to love. Yeah, um, not in this. For a long time, I had to wrestle through what my purpose there was. Yeah, because and, because up until then, you, I mean, you're you're uh, you're an old soul. And you're mature and you're independent, and you've got this great radio career and, and sports broadcast. But but you decide to put family first and, and go into this corporate training thing, which you you love. And now you've got this wife and these two babies and now nothing. So this is exactly what you didn't want in life. On the surface, it's not what I wanted at all. It was a minimum 60 hours a week. It was getting up at, you know, four in the morning. It was working Saturdays. Um, But eventually I started to realize my purpose was still to influence the people, both the union operators that I oversaw and then also the truck drivers uh, that could come in three times a day. 
Um, you start to build relationships and you start to have impact on them. And then you have to choose how you're going to impact them. So, so you maybe you saw purpose, though it wasn't your, your will, you saw purpose. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And how long did you stay there? Uh, I was there for about two and a half years. And they came to me and they time. said, we want you to go to Ohio and we want you to turn around a landfill there. Because they saw potential in you or leadership they're, skill in you? They're like, hey, we've been watching you. You get stuff done. You do what you say you're going to do. The workers respect you. The truck drivers get not, along with you. You're not watching cartoons. I'm not watching cartoons. <laughs> um, and I realized, okay, that was going to be a huge change if we moved to Ohio. Uh, but it was also going to be moving up the corporate track but at the same point, while I had been a volunteer, a deacon, and on the vision team at church, had had conversations with our senior pastor about joining the staff. And so after my boss came to me and talked about Ohio, I called Kristen first, and then the second call was to our pastor, and I said, I need to know if this church thing's ever going to work out. Really? Because if it's not, I'm moving to Ohio. And he said, hey, just hang out. Um, it's, it'll work out. And six months later, it did. And so you turned the, the management corporate job down. Yeah. One of the better decisions in life? Or the- absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Not just for uh, career and purpose, but for, I believe, for our family too. So you start working for the church that you grew up in. Now, again, this, uh, your family and this church family has always been there for you, right? Yeah. They were your cheerleaders. They, they raised you. You married into the family. Uh, and now you work for them. Does that change the relational dynamics? It's a little weird. Um, when you go to work for the church, I try to tell people even now that join the staff. I'm like, on the one hand, you get to see the very best right? You get to see life change. You get to hear all of the stories, but you also get to see the very worst of church life. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I started as the first full-time children's person uh-huh. and, um, and then God just continued to unfold other things. So, so you're, you're, you can't be making much money. It wasn't bad. Um, I mean, one thing I will say definitely about Faith Church, it is a wonderful place to work, and they do take care of their employees. Okay. Nobody's standing in line for food stamps. or. So you felt taken care of. Absolutely. And you're the children's ministry coordinator. Yeah. You loving it? I did. Yeah. You're okay. I I was a volunteer, and at that point we called it Treasure Land. Now it's called Faith Kids. But I had been a volunteer for a long time and loved just pouring into volunteers and getting to know families and kids and seeing kids get excited about coming to church. Mm -hmm. That was a blast. But something somehow, somewhere stepped in, maybe God, maybe somebody else stepped in and said, Hey, Jay, um, we, we think there's more or something different. For you, what did that look like? Yeah, probably after about a year and a half, they came to me and they said, "Hey, you got to hire somebody to do that job. We need you to do something else." And so I started doing uh, connections, getting people to serve, getting people into small groups, and then also starting U-turn ministries um, to help other churches turn around to reach the next generation to hopefully experience 
what Faith Church had experienced. So you're so <laughs> you're all in, all in. Like you drank the Kool Aid. Oh yeah. You Although were- the Kool Aid people would like you to know <laughs> that in Jamestown it was not Kool Aid. It was the generic. Oh, was it? Okay. No, it so, was, uh, sugar water. <clears throat> um, you're loving life. I mean, not not necessarily now, but then uh, new ministry opportunities. It, it, <clears throat> but you still like the corporate feel, the business feel, because you you have that hat on too. So you like your role. Uh, your wife, your kids. You have three kids by now, right? Right. Kate was born Baby by then. Kate. You never so. want to forget her, right? So um, you, you've got this new new position at the church you grew up in. The church is exploding. And uh, marriage is good. Kids are good. Ministry is good. The corporate structure of what you're doing is good. But the wheels fall off the track when you feel called to actually go into full-time pastoral ministry? Well, I never personally felt that at first. That was something that was kind of suggested and like, hey, you need to do this. Really? So So you don't feel the Holy Spirit called you. Somebody said you've got the gifts and skills yeah, I, I I don't I don't want to say that because I don't think it was like this epiphany of the Holy Spirit saying this is what you need to do. What I have found in my life is that I'm just called to take the next step. Yeah. So let's let's hang on there because we, we do, unfortunately we need to wrap up number three pretty quick now, don't we? Um, your whole life has been one step after the other, you just moved into the next thing. And God always said, I got it. And so by now, you're starting to trust it or believe it or realize, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own whatevers. Understanding. But in everything, go to him and he will show you exactly what to do. So this is more that. It it wasn't a, a wake up in the middle of the night with... Jason. No. Right. It was the next. Just one step at a time. Because as I look back now, I never would have envisioned being where I am now. Right. Right. So that preaches. Right. So what happened? So you, you, so eventually after some conversations, you had to say to your wife, Hey, did you ever see yourself being a a pastor's wife? Well, yeah. She cussed. Well, what? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, she didn't sign up for this either. Yeah, no, that sucks. You right. know, she she married a corporate trainer yeah, guy. And I didn't sign up to be a friend of a pastor. Yeah. Right. Well, now welcome gotta, to it. I kind of watch my language now. I can't smoke cigars in front of you anymore. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a whole sharing, thing. Right? Um, so, no, what had happened was along the way, I've always, I think, been a lifelong learner. And... Um, I had seen a Master's of Arts in Transformational Leadership at Bethel Seminary uh, when I first joined the staff and was interested, but I thought, hey, we got little kids. There's not Now is not the time. But after I had been on staff for a year, uh, my father-in-law, who was the executive administrator of our church for a while, he heard about the same program and came to me and said, hey, have you ever heard about this? 
I think this would be great for you. And so I felt like the Holy Spirit was giving that back to me. And so I thought, well, I'll just apply. See what happens, right? And as we've talked about, I graduated college normally, not with honors or anything else. So I didn't even know if I'd be accepted. And so I made an application, sent it in, and for the longest time, never heard anything back. And eventually I called Bethel and I said, hey, this is Jason DeVries. Um, I applied for the Master of Arts in Transformational Leadership program. I'm just wondering if I got in. And they said, no, we know who you are. You called two weeks ago and you switched to the Masters of Divinity program. And I said, uh, no, 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 I didn't. Nobody here wants to be a I'm pastor. I'm not signing up for that. I like the leadership that goes with the corporate training. Yeah, yeah. They said, no, you did. We wouldn't forget that. And I said, I wouldn't forget making the phone call. Yeah. And we fight for 10 minutes. And they're like, okay, well, no, you were accepted. And that program starts in September. This is in late April. So I hang up the phone. And I hang up the phone and I think, that doesn't happen. Is this the Holy Spirit revealing a different next step? Oh, mysterious. And so then I start to have conversations with people I know and I trust, and I say, hey, this is what happened. What do you think about me going for the Masters of Divinity? Did they make a mistake, or did you actually call and, like, block that out? Like, like maybe it was a guy call. I never called. So what happened on their end or who they believe they talked to, your I have no idea. <laughs> it was Uncle Larry called them <laughs> saying, this is Jason DeRees. <laughs> so uh, hung up, and when I had these conversations with people, all of their heads were going in this direction and not this direction. Really? So then I had to call back and switch. And, and eat crow, right? You're like, oh, you know that call I didn't make? Yeah. I'm making it now. And they're like, okay, you're accepted, and that program starts in two weeks. All right. Listen, I, I hate to do this to you. I, re- I hate to do this to you guys. Uh, we've got to end this one. But when we come back, we're going to land this plane. Can you believe it? We've got four talking with Jason. Hey, this is Clayton from 316 Creative Works talking about our podcast. Listen, if you like any of this stuff that you saw or you heard, I'm going to give you a couple places where you might find it besides coming in live to the Farmhouse Studios. There's a couple platforms you can find these on. Um, So you can check out Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iTunes, and SoundCloud. So for the cheap seats in the back there, let me say this one more time. You can go to Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iTunes, and SoundCloud. You can find it under 316 Podcasts.